Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. Hey, Founder Fam, before we dive into another incredible conversation, I want to share something really special with you. Whether you're just joining us or you've been following us since the beginning, you've been a critical part of our community working to change entrepreneurial education. I started Founder almost a decade ago with the mission to provide entrepreneurs access to the world's greatest business leaders. Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education, and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond, and today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education, and our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interview to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey, Founder fam. Welcome back to another episode. Today's guest is an organizational psychologist, Dr. Adam C. Bandali. He's a seasoned leadership advisor with over 20 years of corporate consulting experience And in 2015, Adam founded Bandali & Associates, where his team leverages psychological insights, business acumen, and really years of firsthand experiences to help their clients really unleash the true leadership potential that they have. In this interview, you're going to really learn everything you want to know about developing a strong entrepreneurial mindset and really how to build high-performing teams. Please welcome to the podcast, Dr. Adam Bandali. 
The first question that we ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, AKA, how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? When you say job, it's interesting. You know, I look at what I do now as a calling and kind of a purpose in my life. Um, this started all back when I was 19. I had a vision in undergraduate that I wanted to be a business psychologist. I didn't know what that meant, but my mentor was one, and I wanted to be a consultant in New York City. And from that kind of vision or that dream, I was able to work with some really great mentors the first 10 years of my educational experiences, both my undergrad, my master's, and my PhDs, where I really learned from the best in the field of what I do around coaching and leadership development. And so that was kind of the foundational piece. But I really wanted to start my own firm in my company in 2016. Uh, I wanted to build a firm that was different than other firms in my industry. Um, and so I started on that journey six years ago. And we now lead a firm. I now lead a firm that really focuses on four important things. Uh, one, and we'll talk a little more about it, is the power of relational intelligence and how we build authentic and dynamic relationships with our clients. Um, two, we are a firm that are multicultural and multi-ethnic. So we bring people into the firm with different backgrounds and experiences. Uh, three, we are all resilient and innovative catalysts. And so we like our clients to think differently, engage differently. And then I think our social cause, we're very big on mental health awareness. And so those four things are the cornerstones of the firm that I've built since 2016, um, which has been really a joy of mine just to kind of bring that to life for our clients and for our customers. Yep. And, and what is organizational psychology? Yeah, so um, I guess the, the quick way, I don't know if you ever see the show Billions, but um, and I'm a real life Wendy in a sense. So I do consulting to CEOs and senior executives really around three areas. One is we help them hire and onboard senior talent. Um, so spending time around recruitment and selection. Two, we do what I call therapy for work people. We do executive coaching. So I'll meet with executives and coach them around new team development or I'll coach them if they're new to a company. And then the third piece, which is really kind of our bread and butter, is we do executive education and learning. So we do leadership retreats, offsites. Uh, we do a lot to train the leaders that we work with how to strengthen their skills and capabilities. What led you down the path of organizational psychology? Yeah, yeah. So you can see the, the wall behind me with the shoes. I was an athlete growing up in the 80s watching Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird. And um, it was my first purview into teamwork and motivation and leadership. And so I was fascinated by this question. And I have been the last 40 plus years of my life. What makes a great leader great? And so from those origins, when I knew that I wasn't going to be the next Michael Jordan in college, I transitioned my studies and focus on academics. And, you know, I think like most young kids, they want to help people. We say we want to help others. And for me, it was taking the years of dedication and discipline to being an athlete and transitioning that into helping leaders lead great organizations. What does make leaders great? That's a, so that's, that's a great question. So I think there are three things that make for great leadership. I think one, a leader has to have a vision, a vision for where they want to go, a vision for where they want their organization to go. And having a vision is important, but you have to get people who buy into that vision, who are in alignment and agreement with you. So vision is the first thing. I think the second thing, you need to get people around the table that share the same values as you do. So having values that represent your brand or represent you as an entrepreneur, that's really critical. And then the most important thing is relationships. Um, do you surround yourself with people that you can sow into their lives? I like to use the farmer analogy. Are you being a servant leader and contributing to others? And do you bring people around you to have that same mindset? So those three things, vision, values, relationships. And when you talked about relational intelligence as one of the key pillars of your company, what, what is that? 
So we define relational intelligence as the ability to successfully connect with people and build strong, long-lasting relationships. And so our framework, our model around relational intelligence focuses on five key skills that leaders and CEOs and entrepreneurs need to practice to build really dynamic, life-changing relationships with their people, with their customers, with their clients. Can we talk about that more? Yeah, sure. So the, the framework really focuses on these five key skills. The first one is establishing rapport. And this is the ability to use energy to create an initial positive connection with another person. So you think about things like making a good first impression, finding common ground, the use of nonverbal behavior and body language, making things fun, using humor. So all the important things that you should do early stages when you first meet someone, how you make them feel, how you engage them, how you use your energy is a really critical component. The second skill is called understanding others. And this is the ability to be intentional about putting in the time and energy needed to get to know someone on a deep level. And so to do that, you have to have good self-awareness and you have to have good EQ. You have to understand your emotions and how to read the emotions of others. But you also have to be a really good active listener. Do you listen to hear people and not just listen to respond? Um, there's a great deal of curiosity and inquisitiveness that's needed. Are you a curious person? Do you ask questions? Do you genuinely want to get to know others? And then there is a degree of empathy and compassion. Can you put yourself in someone else's shoes? So those components make up understanding others. The third skill, which is really important, is embracing individual differences. This is the diversity and inclusion bucket. And we define this as the ability to be authentic in acknowledging and accepting that everyone comes from different backgrounds and experiences. So things like race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, great relationally intelligent leaders create inclusive environments where everyone feels the psychological safety to be their authentic selves, which ultimately leads to diversity of thought. You know, you want people around your table if you're an entrepreneur or leader who think, act, and behave differently than you do. And by embracing individual differences, you can nurture that environment. Uh, the fourth skill, the most important, is developing trust. And we define that here as the ability to be vulnerable and risk being exposed to the actions or behaviors of others. So for a lot of leaders and CEOs, entrepreneurs, that's very hard to put themselves in a vulnerable place. But what we've found are the leaders who do that self-work and they do that discovery in terms of their strengths and their opportunities and their values. In the book, I call it the mirror test. You need to do that work on yourself and who you are as a leader and as a business owner before you can start to build trust with others. Once you have that foundation, Nathan, you then can start to focus on some of the underlying aspects of trust. So your competence, your commitment, your consistency, things like character and courage, um, different aspects that blend into how you build trust with others. And then the most important thing with trust is, are you being intentionally generous? Great leaders extend trust. They don't demand it from their people. And that shows up in how their actions and behaviors take place on a daily basis. And then the fifth and final skill, Nathan, that's cultivating influence. And this is the ability to have a positive and meaningful impact on the lives of others. So this goes back to putting people and culture first. It's about being a servant leader. It's about mentoring and coaching and providing consistent feedback to people. So when we talk about influence, it's about helping people to grow. It's not manipulation or controlling folks or top-down authority. It's really bringing out the best in your people. Well, a lot to unpack there. All right. Lots to unpack. <laughs> yeah, a few questions. Trust and relationships. You know, how, how do you build trust? Because high-performing teams, they have high senses of trust, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. What are things that people can do if they're in the early stages of their business with their founding team looking to build trust? What is what, what, what advice would you give? Yeah. So I call them the five C's. There's five things that leadership teams need to focus on. The first is competence. 
can I trust Nathan that you and the rest of my team members all have the skills and abilities to do your jobs? That's the first thing. Second, commitment. Can I trust that you will be committed to the vision, the goals, the strategy, the mission of the organization? And does everyone else have that same trust about each other around the table? Consistency. Can I trust that you will show up the same way each day, day in and day out, to fulfill your job duties, to be aligned with the mission we're trying to drive towards? Four is character. Can I trust that you will operate with high ethics and integrity and be a good brand representation for the organization? And then probably the most important is courage. Can I trust that you will have the honest and candid conversations that are needed on the things that matter most? So great teams we have found in our research practice those five C's. And it's through doing that, the trust gets accelerated and people work more effectively together. How long will that take though? Like that sounds like a lot of work. Like how long can that take? How do you accelerate that? Like what from your experiences? So I will tell you, when we think about relational intelligence, I just took you through the five skills. There are two underlining cornerstones that build up the whole model, authenticity and intentionality. So if you want leaders to accelerate that trust building process, are they intentional in the time they spend with their people, in the time they develop their people, in the time they get to know their employees? By being intentional about how you spend time with your people, you're able to accelerate how trust is developed in both sides of the equation. So when you say being intentional, that means it's beyond the work. It's beyond being just straight business, right? Yeah. Yeah. Intentional is, is wanting to, I want to know about your background. I want to know about the things that make you who you are, because ultimately, and especially now with COVID, people's work and personal lives are mixed. And so if I don't have a full picture as, of Nathan as an employee, I'm not going to be able to inspire or motivate you. So it goes beyond just the task or duties of your job. And when you talk about kind of these skills, are there any essential skills, I guess, for building better relationships? You talked about trust. You talked about consistency. You talked about being intentional. Do you, do you believe, yeah, like what are the other essential skills? Yeah, so it's those five. It's really your ability to build rapport. That's critical. Do I enjoy being around you from the first time I sit you and interact with you? So as a leader, can you create an environment where people enjoy working with you? Um, the intentionality piece. Am I intentionally getting to know you as a person, as a human being, not just an employee? Um, am I creating an environment where there's psychological safety so you feel that you can be your true self at work? You have a lot of differences that we're seeing now between the generations, millennials versus Gen Zs. And so what's important to Gen Z workers is that they want to be their true selves at work. And so to build great relationships, you have to create the environment where you can be inclusive. We talked about developing trust already. And then, you know, a big thing that's happened in the great resignation is that people have left companies, not just because of pay, title, and promotion, they've left companies. There's that saying, people don't quit jobs, they quit bosses. And so the leaders who are intentional and focused on developing their people and developing their talent, those are the folks who are retaining their people right now. So how does emotional intelligence come into play? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, emotional intelligence and relational intelligence are two completely different concepts. As I mentioned, relational intelligence is defined as the ability to successfully connect with people and build strong, long-lasting relationships. EQ or emotional intelligence, we define that as the ability to understand your emotions, Nathan, the emotions of others, and how to manage emotions effectively. So EQ falls in our framework, in our skill, the second skill, understanding others. You need good EQ to learn about people. I have to be able to read your, ver your verbal, nonverbal body language. I have to be able to understand the emotions that I'm feeling and vice versa. So EQ is a piece of the puzzle when you're building relationships, but it is not the be-all, end-all. And the big reason for that, Nathan, is people can use emotions for positive or negative. I can use my emotional intelligence to inspire or motivate you, or I can use my emotions to manipulate or intimidate or, you know, 
frighten my employees, fear by intimidation or leading with an iron fist. And so that's where each you can kind of be used for different reasons. With relational intelligence, it can't be used for negative purposes because the goal with relational intelligence is to build these successful long-term relationships. So people who do that are more strategic than transactional in how they treat people. I've always looked at EQ as something that you either have or you don't have, and it's not so much a skill or a level of awareness, self-awareness that can be developed. What's your take there? Yeah, so it depends. If you look at the field of business psychology, there are different camps in how they view it. There are some people who view it as a nature. It's you're, you're given a skill. It's kind of like leadership or charisma. You have it or you don't. And then there's another camp, which I sit in, is that it is a skill. Um, you know, Nathan may not be as great as Bob with self-awareness, but I can teach Nathan certain skills to be more self-aware. I can teach him certain skills to be able to better manage his emotions. So I believe that emotional intelligence is an ability. It's a skill that you can learn. People will have different proclivities for being different levels of good in one area or the other, but these are skills that you can treat, teach people, train people. And our research has shown and research in the field of business psychology is that these are skills that can be learned. And how can founders utilize relational intelligence when it comes to broader business relationships? So not just, yeah, yeah, yeah. like moving between the company. Yeah. So in terms of their clients and their customers, you're saying? Cross-functionally. Relational intelligence in action is really about the connections you build with your customers or clients. And so relationally intelligent leaders have really three things that they operate with their mindset with they are willing to make investments in the partnerships they have with their clients or customers in the short term that may not pay off immediately, but they're looking at the two-year or the three-year horizon in terms of how they can partner or work with or provide a service to their clients. And so I'll give you a perfect example from our own business. We have most of our work comes from repeat business or referrals from clients. And so I will do a six-month coaching engagement usually with someone. And from day one, Nathan, I'm looking to build a relationship with that person. I'm not offering a service. And so that's the mindset shift that a leader has to think about with their customers or clients is we're not doing a transactional, you do this for me, I do that for you. It's more about a bigger picture in terms of what the partnership could look like. And so the biggest thing that I could say for relationally intelligent leaders, they're strategic, not transactional. And that's difficult for a lot of business people, I think. Um, Great business leaders, you look at some of the famous ones, they focus on building out long-term partnerships with their people versus just transactional in the moment. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast, From Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in-the-trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs, people just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. Can you tell us about the deposit mentality? So the deposit mentality, this is this idea in developing trust around intentional generosity. So as a leader, as an entrepreneur, you have to be intentionally sowing into the lives of people around you. 
Um, and again, it goes back to the strategic piece where you may do things today for your people or for a client or go out of your way to do something extra. You may not get a result today. And are you willing to kind of take the compromise and say, okay, I'm doing something to serve my client. Or I'm doing something to serve my people. If you have that mindset, it will come back to you a hundredfold at some point in the future. I've seen that time and time again in my life and the life of my clients. Um, it's really moving from being more self-centered and selfish to being selfless. And I think that's a challenge that, you know, we see a lot of leaders now who practice servant leadership. It's really more about what can they do for others versus what others can do for them. So effectively like the law of reciprocity, right? 100%. So we, I'm glad you bring that up. So if leaders are practicing intentional generosity, relational reciprocity should be the outcome. I shouldn't be doing something with the expectation I'm going to get something back from Nathan, but because both of us are being intentionally generous, living with a deposit mentality, that reciprocity will take place naturally. So one thing, and this is coming from my own experience, I'm going to be a bit vulnerable here in the spirit yeah, of building yeah, trust. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and even being selfish, right? Like I've got someone that's yeah. extremely accomplished and work with incredible leaders. So one thing that yeah. I've found is, I subscribe to servant servant based leadership. I yeah. I try and try and be really really conscious of others' emotions and and you know their feelings, and I also subscribe pretty hard to the deposit mentality um, of of kind of you know really rewarding and recognizing people that are living our values or, and are doing great work in in the company. But I've found that sometimes. Unfortunately, I've been taken advantage of where perhaps yeah. trust I thought was there was not there. And, you know, yeah. often as a leader sometimes or as the boss, you know, or the CEO or the owner, people just tell you what you want to hear. Um, yeah. Like what's your take there for people that are, are perhaps giving up too much power? Like, or, or yeah, like talk me through that. Like what's your take? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I think, look, if you're putting people in relationships and culture first, you're going to come across employees and people who don't share those values. And so what I would say upfront, if you're an entrepreneur, you're starting a company, getting clear on what good looks like for your employees. So at our firm, we do a big part. This is what we talk about when we help companies select people. We build these things called scorecards, Nathan, where we'll say, what are the key skills or behaviors we want our people to embody? So I'll give you some of the examples of the ones we have at our company. So for us, our key scorecard behaviors are we want strategic agility. We want people who are strategic and they can be nimble. We want people who have a commitment mindset. We want people who are intellectually curious. We want people who have a confident humility. So we have six or seven things that we look for. And when we select, when we onboard, when we look for talent, we want people who share those values and those skills. And if you do more times than not, you'll have people who are aligned with you in terms of the beliefs and the values that you have. But if you don't do that and you kind of get some folks in the door who have different perspectives, you're probably going to get burnt once or twice. And I think it's, you know, you have to be willing to give and take with that with respect to that. And so I think the way to mitigate a lot of that is being extra careful about who you hire and who you bring on board um, in your relationships with your customers and clients. You may get a customer or client who will take advantage or may want to use you in those situations, too. Um, and it's really figuring out the partnerships and who you want to work with. I've had to terminate contracts and engagements with partners that we've had or vendors that we've worked with because we weren't about aligned on values. And I originally thought we were. And then as I saw the relationship progress, the work we were doing progress, I had to pull back and say, okay, that's not aligned with what we're trying to do as a mission purpose driven company. So that scorecard and knowing what good looks like, I think that's tough because you know, everybody has their own exposures to what good looks like. Everybody has their own high standards. It's funny, like, you know, 
from my experiences, I thought I knew what good looks like, but then you could come into another organization and just like, wow. You, you know what I mean? So, so how, how do you work that out? Like what good looks like? Because I think as founders and as especially founders in growing companies, businesses yeah. are built by people, right? And it's so simple, but it's so often forgotten. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's so uh, easily overlooked because it's people think about cash flow. They think about tactics. They think about strategy. But at the end of the day, it's people. Businesses are built by people. And I would go a step further and say businesses are built on the relationships that people have. That's where, that's where the rubber hits the road. It's the relationships you can develop with partners, with peers, with customers. The relationships and how you invest in those make all the difference as you scale and grow your company. So if we know this to be true, which it is, then yes. I think it is so incredibly important to get the right people on the bus. And if your business is growing fast and you have to hire fast and you feel like you have these pains and you're trying to work on fulfillment and you, you've raised money and then off you go and then before you know it. So like, how do you work out what good looks like to protect? Yes, you're not going to get it right 100% of the time. What well, What's the strike rate that you would look for? Is it 60%? And, and how do you work out what good looks like? So it's going to be different case by case with every company because every company has a unique culture. They have a unique founder. But the first and foremost thing is, you know, what are the three or four things that you want your people to stand for? Um, Whether it be accountability, whether it be ownership, whether it be entrepreneurial, whatever those things are, getting clear on those things. And whoever's around your table, whoever your key leaders are, having alignment and making sure you're all on the same page about that. Then when you go out and you try to select and onboard people, you want folks to have those three or four characteristics. And so that serves as the foundation as you start to scale an organization. Um, We're brought in a lot around that process to help companies make those decisions in terms of who fits their culture well. Um, But you don't need an organizational psychologist to do that. You just have to get clear on what are the things that your company stands for? What are the, we call them leadership competencies, but what are the behaviors that you want your people to have or they're not going to be part of the organization? What are some other traits that uh, founders need to become effective leaders? Yeah, I mean, I think there's really, you know, two or three that are really important things. I think when you think about this piece around setting a vision, I think a lot of the great entrepreneurs, and I do a lot of work with startup leaders and CEOs, um, be big, be grand, have anything, have an anything is possible mentality. Um, And so really being able to do that. And for me, again, I joked with you at the beginning, I had a vision at 19 that I was going to do this type of work. I had no idea at 19 what it meant, but I I put out there that kind of energy around this is the future that I want to have. And so any entrepreneur, any leader, person opening a business, that needs to be first and foremost. Um, I think we talked about it also already too, like the values piece is critical. I have folks on my team who I know are committed to the mission and vision we're doing around relational intelligence. So putting an extra time on the weekend or those type of things, it's never an issue because we're all aligned around those values. Um, And then I think the other thing we talked about too is putting people in culture first. You know, great entrepreneurs, like you said, people are everything and the relationships that they build are critical. And so they are not going to, I think a lot of entrepreneurs that we coach and work with are, have the ability to be both long-term thinking and long-term perspective, but they can also scale down to the tactical of what might need to take place next quarter or next month. Um, It's very hard for a lot of leaders, fortune 100 CEOs down to startups to balance both and be strategic and tactical. That's why you kind of get good operators and executors around you. But the great leaders that I've worked with can balance the two nicely, see the big picture, but also get into the tactics of the day. What are the common mistakes that you see developing leaders uh, making? Yeah. So a lot of the things I've seen when we've helped companies scale is, you know, we've talked about a lot of getting the wrong talent, getting people around the boat that's not 
aligned with their values, getting people who don't have the skill sets that they need, um, the wrong timing. You know, you think about product releases or things like you can make a great product, but if you launch it at the wrong time, it's not going to make a difference in the market. And so timing is very important. And then having a disalignment or misalignment on goals, what may be important to one business unit in your organization versus another, if people are not all aligned on the direction you're going as an organization, you can have parts of the business doing things that are in competition with other parts of the business. It can cause a lot of havoc in terms of the teamwork that takes place across your organization. So can you tell us about your latest book, Relational Intelligence? Yeah, yeah. So the book's been out now for three months. You can order it on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble. Um, and the book really focuses on, as I mentioned at the start today, it focuses on the five skills that make up for effective relationship building. Um, the first half of the book, Nathan, there's a chapter on each. So there's a chapter on trust. There's a chapter on influence. And what I try to do for the reader is not just give you examples and case studies and research from psychology and from the work that we do, but there's some practical tools and advice and tips at the end of each chapter about how Nathan can practice rapport building or how he can practice learning about others and using his EQ. So that's the first half of the book. The second half of the book is the applications of relational intelligence. So the exciting thing is this is a skill set that does not just apply to you as a founder and CEO. It applies to your romantic relationship with your spouse. It applies to how you raise your kids. It applies to the relationships you build with your friends. It applies to how you connect with your family. So relational intelligence, these five skills, these, these skills are a blueprint for how to master relationships across all areas of your life. And so the second part of the book really dives into how you can do that in each of those areas. Um, and so we've seen great you know, great receptivity by the market for it. I mean, people are starting to see that this is a construct or idea that's different from emotional intelligence because that was a lot of the questions we got early on. How is this different? Um, and we've talked about that already. But, you know, we're trying, my vision for this is to infuse in the business world the importance and the necessity for relationships to be the center of everything you do. And we've talked about that already today. People are what make businesses happen. Um, you know, there's another saying, we don't do business with, with uh, we don't do business with companies, we do business with people. And so that is kind of one of the main things. And so um, we're about an eight, we're about a year and a half into this journey where we've launched it. We've developed a whole practice. Our firm has shifted around this. So in about three or four months, Nathan, I'll be able to give you our relational intelligence test. So I'll be able to give you a book and share an idea, but then say to you, let's see what your relational intelligence is today. And so you'll be able to do that. And then we've developed a whole training program. We have a two-day retreat that we do called the Relational Intelligence Experience where we take CEOs and senior teams to really learn these skills, practice them with their teams and with their people. So they're getting real life application right away. And why now? I think now there's really a, a couple of different reasons. So one, first and foremost, you look at us coming out of the pandemic for two years, we were all socially isolated, um, not having the ability to communicate face to face. So people lost the art of that human connection. You look at the social justice events in 2020, the idea of inclusivity and authenticity extends deeper than just diversity, inclusion, and getting bodies and chairs. We look at the great resignation. People are leaving companies now, and predominantly Gen Zs and millennials, because they don't feel that connection to their leaders, and they don't feel that they're getting the development that they, lead, that they need. And so those three things, I think, were the impetus around me saying, you know, it's time to share this idea with the business world, because it's something that will not only help with coming out of the pandemic, it will address a lot of the issues around social justice and how to build cultures that are inclusive. And then it also is an answer to the great resignation. So if people were to take one thing away from the book, what would it be? The one thing that I would say is if you are intentional and authentic in how you build relationships, your life will be transformed. All right. So we have to work towards wrapping up. Um, considering everything that you've spoken about, what would you say also is the number one thing 
leaders should take away from this uh, interview? I think the other big piece is when you think about starting a company or building a company, uh, we've talked about a couple of times already, set a vision and set a big vision for yourself. And I think that's important. Um, you may be creating a product that's not been on the market before. You may be trying to create a service that's not been there. Like be bold, take risks, take calculated risks, but take risks. Um, I think the great leaders that I've coached or CEOs that I've worked with um, have that fearlessness where they're going to take on challenges and they're going to do things that haven't been done before. And sometimes they miss, sometimes they don't, but when they do, it can transform industries. It can transform businesses all across the board. You talk about fearlessness um, and you work with a lot of CEOs, founders, executives. They might appear fearlessness, but when you talk to them and work through their, through what's going on, deep down, are they ever fearful or they're truly just not fearful whatsoever and they never falter? Yeah, so that, that's a multi-pronged question. So I think, you know, in relation to what are they fearful of failure? So failure in and of itself can be, you know, scary to any leader. Um, I think failure motivate some people. Some of the CEOs that I coach and work with, they use failure as a motivator. I'm not going to fail. I'm not going to, I was given this role for my predecessor. I'm not going to make this company go down. I'm going to make it succeed even better. So failure can be an important thing. I think the other side of the scale, you see leaders who are narcissistic or Machiavellian self-centered type leaders. Those are almost just as dangerous because they don't see their blind spots. And so I think having a good, healthy, practical understanding of where you are. You may have a vision for where you want to go. Like I'll use my firm for an example. You know, we're building all these things around relational intelligence that someone may not be interested in, but I'm going with the vision that it will happen and making plans for that. And, you know, of course there's the fear of maybe it won't work or maybe we won't get clients or maybe this or that, but are you driven by that? Or are you by, are you driven more by the possibility of what could be? And so the leaders that I coach, you know, I think it's natural to be fearful about events to play out. Am I going to, am I going to be able to pay payroll next month? Am I going to be able to attack, attract and retain the right talent? I mean, these are all questions that founders think about, especially as they scale. Um, and so, you know, I guess that's why folks like me have jobs because we're there to kind of be the executive coach and the work therapist to talk them through it. But I think it's okay to have fears or have doubts or have things, but is your faith more stronger than your fear? And I think the CEOs who really do a great job at what they do, they have fear. That's natural for all of us, but their faith is greater than their fear in whatever it may be, their job, their employee, their work, their product, the faith that they have in themselves and in what they're doing is greater than any fear they might have. Awesome. Thank you, Adam. Uh, we're going to move to the hot seat round, rapid fire questions and answers, uh, and then we'll wrap. So what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Very first coaching firm I worked in, one of my mentors early on said, do good work and more work will come. And that's something that I live by. What's the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Worst piece of advice was that that hasn't been done before, so you shouldn't try to do it. And then my immediate response was, I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> What's something that you've learned today? I learned that my people have grown more exponentially than I thought they would in a five, six month, seven month period. I'm seeing my employees and people that I brought on in the last two years do things now that a year ago I didn't think was possible. And it's through the investment and developing the relationships that I, because again, this is not just a book that I wrote. It's like I live and breathe this. This is who I am. And so to see me apply these skills with my people intentionally and to see them flourish and develop and grow. I have calls with two of my people today and to, to see where they've been now as opposed to where they were six months ago is phenomenal. If you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why? 
I think Mark Cuban. I've, I've watched him a lot, both, you know, owner of the Mavs as well as the stuff he's done on Shark um, Tank. And I think just, you know, for someone who's taken so many risks and done so many things, I think it'd be cool to pick his brain. What does failure mean to him? Awesome. And then finally, uh, where can people go to find out more about your book, Relational Intelligence, and more about your work? We are revamping and retooling our website right now. Our new website will be launched next week. It's Bandelli and associates.com. That's Bandelli, A-N-D, associates.com. Your followers can also follow me, Adam Bandelli, on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Um, and we do a lot of posting on some of our new service offerings and things. So those would be the two big places. And then they can get the book on Amazon, Barnes Noble, or Apple Books. Awesome. Well, Adam, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. This was an amazing interview. My pleasure, Nathan. Thank you so much for having me. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.